Welcome to another message from Graceway Baptist Church on Capitol Hill. You can find more about us by visiting gracewaydc.com or find Graceway DC on social media. Christians are called to make a difference in the world around us for the cause of Christ. As a peculiar people, filled with God's power and His peace, you have a divinely appointed purpose. Continuing in this series from Pastor Brad Wells on Making a Difference, our prayer is that God would show you how He can use you in your circle of influence. Now here's this week's message from Gracewood. Today I want to talk to you about the most influential force in the world. We're going to look at five specific lessons from the life of Hannah. And if you know somebody whose name is Anne or Anna or Annie, that name means gracious. And it actually comes from this story today in 1 Samuel chapter 1, the story of Hannah. You know, actually, the first Mother's Day was petitioned by a, a lady named Anna Reeves Jarvis from Grafton, West Virginia. And she wrote, I forget how many times, but hundreds of times to uh, President Roosevelt and, and Eleanor. And in 1914, he signed the bill recognizing today as the national holiday that we know of as Mother's Day. Now, in our story in 1 Samuel chapter, chapter 1, we are going to look at five specific lessons of Hannah. And this is how to use the influence of a mother, but because we have lots of young people and lots of men, all five of these points, let me just bring to your attention, will easily be applied to your life as, as well. Because, see, leadership is influence. Uh, it was a privilege Friday of mine to hear from John Maxwell, who's, uh, I've read his books and followed his teaching for, for probably 20, 25 years. And uh, he was one of the uh, speakers at my daughter's graduation at Liberty University. And it was just a privilege to hear him talk about leadership just a little bit. And he really, I don't think he coined the phrase leadership as influence, but he certainly has made it very, very popular. And so I want to say this again, the most influential force in the world, I believe, belongs to mothers. I don't think it belongs to the president or the, the military might. I don't think it belongs to the CEOs or the ultra-rich. I don't think it belongs to the most athletic or the most attractive. The most influential force God has given to mothers. And I think mothers, you should strive to do three things. And in the first five to seven years, you need to install these into the heart of your children, your offspring. The first one is easy, affection. You need to really instill in them affection. I love you. And belonging. You belong to me. I belong to you. We belong together. God designed this. And then the third one, which is the natural offspring of it, is confidence. Children should be confident. They should be confident. Now, there's different personalities, of course, and 
my wife and I, we have seven children and we've got seven uh, personalities. And depending on what year it is, we've got more than that, you know. But uh, affection, belonging, and confidence. And God has given men to be fathers. And certainly the father is the head of the home. And we'll be talking to men here pretty soon. Father's Day, to be the head of the home. But it's equally true that God has given the women, the mothers specifically, to be the heart of the home. And one of the greatest diseases in Western society is heart disease, heart failure. And I think it's interesting that that physical problem, I think, is a mirror of a greater spiritual and emotional problem that our society has as we lack the attention of mothers. So we're going to talk about five specific things. I want you to remember these words. I've kind of tried to make them all start with the same letter so that we can remember them and string them together like beads on a necklace or something like that. But they come right from the text. These are not my thoughts. These are not my ideas. I wouldn't be so bold as to share my own ideas with you. These are the ancient preserved words of God. 1 Samuel chapter 1 and verse number 9. So Hannah... And that's our, our mother here today. And she was overcoming some, some big problems here. This is in the, the times of, of the judges. There was no king in Israel. As we read through the book of Judges as a church this last week, uh, we saw that every man did that which was right in their own eyes. And, and by the way, it really dawned on me this week that they didn't do what was wrong in their own eyes. And that's what was wrong. They did that which was right in their own eyes. And that was what was wrong. God has a standard. When everybody does what's right in their own eyes, we have chaos and confusion. On the way to church today, just real close to here, somebody came around and passed me probably going 30 miles an hour faster than I was. And uh, passed somebody else and the other person was honking and yelling. I would guess, I don't know this to be true, but I would guess that that person had a very good reason for what they did. They weren't just trying to, I don't think they were trying to annoy us or jeopardize everybody's life. In their mind, they probably had a rational reason. You know, people do wrong things all the time, but it's right in their own mind. We, we say that it's justified in their own mind. That's why you have to have judges and, and lawsuits and court cases and all these sort of things, because you can't do what you, what's right in your own eyes. There has to be a higher standard. Well, this story is born in that. It's the story of Hannah and how God gave young Samuel. She has to overcome three huge things. Number one, it's a polygamous marriage. She's probably the first wife, and then there's another wife, probably the second wife, and the second wife is, is having lots of children, which is the second problem. She's having no children. She's, she's barren. She's not having children, which leads to the third problem. The, the second wife is mocking the first wife. So she's got these three big problems that she has to overcome in a polygamous, barren situation where she feels mocked and ridiculed. And so I want us to apply this to our own life and see how we can have an impact in the community around us. And specifically, mothers, how you can have the godly influence that God has given you. And our first point will spring out of verses 10 and 11. 
But let's read verse number nine. So Hannah rose up after they had eaten in Shiloh and after they had drunk. Now Eli the priest had set upon a seat by the post of the temple of the Lord. So it's right around the temple there. It's in a place called Shiloh. And verse number 10. And she was in bitterness of soul and prayed unto the Lord and wept sore. So she's crying out. She's praying. And verse number 11. And she vowed a vow. O Lord of hosts, if thou wilt indeed look upon the affliction of thine handmaid and remember me and not forget thine handmaid, but will give unto thine handmaid a man-child, then I will give him unto the Lord all the days of his life, and there shall no razor come upon his head. The first point I want you to write down and kind of remember is the word desire desire. She had cultivated in her life a godly desire. You know, desires are cultivated. They're grown. You probably remember when you had a desire to be maybe an athlete or participate in in this or that, and, and maybe you didn't have the disciplines or the natural talent to do that. I wanted to be a running back, but, uh, you know, I never practiced, so I didn't become a running back. I wanted to be a basketball player. Now, I did practice and I shot a lot, but I didn't have that natural skill and ability to do that. Cultivate a right desire. I want to say that it is a right thing to cultivate the desire to have offspring. That's a good thing. That's a right thing. Now, on Mother's Day, this is a a bit awkward and not everybody can have children. As a matter of fact, the story starts with a woman that could not have a child, and she had the right desire. That's why she's in bitterness of soul, and she's weeping. So this is not just a happy day, and everybody's walking around saying happy Mother's Day to her. This is terrible. Mother's Day, really, that we're looking at here in the life of Hannah is a dreadful day. And she's going to the the temple. She's going to the priest there. And it's agony. Why don't I have a child? Now, it's one thing if God has not opened your, your womb or you don't have the ability to have children and it's beyond your control. Well, God bless, and, and, and I just have to choose that and accept that. It's another thing when you've cultivated other desires and there is no desire to have children. There's all sorts of videos, horrific videos of women, you've probably seen it, uh, and men that are saying horrific things about children yet in the womb. And, And that's actually what's going on right now this week at the Supreme Court. There's all sorts of different people yelling and shouting and and even mobs of angry people gathering at the the personal homes of the justices of the Supreme Court and threatening them and And what is this about? It's about, I believe, a satanic influence, an unnatural satanic influence to kill the offspring of your life. The womb is designed and meant to be the safest place in the world. The safest place I've ever been is in my mother's womb. And she protected me with her life. And how horrific to have that turned around where it's the most dangerous place. And people don't, literally, don't make it out of the womb alive. The Bible says in Psalms 127 and verse number 3, Lo, children are an heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb 
is his reward. That is a gift from heaven. It's a gift from God. It's an amazing day. Really, we all are celebrating Mother's Day because we're all mother's children. And God has given life through a mother. God hasn't given life but through mothers. And so we're all celebrating. It's, it's a wonderful time. And God blesses and God gives. And I believe the devil is having a heyday in our free America with abortion and the killing of all these beautiful children. And it's just unfathomable. Tens of millions of babies have been murdered under the word, my body, my choice, under the words, health care, under the pretense of, you know, it's, it's not your business, it's the woman's choice and her doctor. Well, if it's my body, then it's my choice. That's actually a, a reasonable thought. But what if it's not your body? And all science points that that, is, that baby is not your body. It is another body that has been trusted inside of you. And I've been very gracious and kind. I go to the Supreme Court. Never once have I yelled at anybody. I've never said anything mean. I've never been accusative. I've been very gracious. Even people that have had abortions, I've talked to many of those people, and and I pity these situations and these people that have had these terrible things. Very kind. But I mean, I I just walk in. I be kind. I, I carry my Bible and... And people will cuss and yell and scream and threaten and assault many times under the thought that I am persecuting others. And this is a, this is a terrible thing that has been growing in our nation. But the right desires. Look at Psalm 128 in verse number 3. It says, Thy wife, speaking to the men, shall be as the fruitful vine by the sides of thine house, thy children like olive plants round about thy table. And here we have two elements, the wife being representative here as the fruitful vine, somewhat fragile and, and, and dependent upon the house and, and clinging to it, actually decorating it. And then the children like olive plants, and olive plants are extremely hardy. As a matter of fact, in Jerusalem, in the Garden of Gethsemane, they say that the very olive trees that are in the Garden of Gethsemane were mature at the time of Jesus Christ. And they're very hardy and can withstand drought and cold and, and all kinds of things. And our, the next generation should be blessed because of who we are. And look at the next verse, verse number four. It says, Behold, that thus shall the man be blessed that feareth the Lord. So as we fear God and reverence his commandments, the blessing of God is poured out, and that is a family unit that clings together like a vine to a house and like the next generation that grows up after it. And the intellectual bomb that is going off in the Western mind is is that children are a burden. And they make rich men poor. And we've got to get rid of these children and throw off these children in order to rise to our potential. You'll never reach your potential unless, you know, you get rid of these children. And that's exactly opposite. Exactly opposite. We're being sold a bill of goods. It's deceptive. It's the destroyer, Satan himself, that's selling this. God blesses with children. Children make poor men rich. Children are the greatest part of society. It is what gives us hope. It gives us light. It gives us joy. It gives us reason. 
but our priorities get skewed. And I want you to notice, first off, it starts with a right priority. Lord, give me these children, she's praying. Now, verse number 10, 1 Samuel chapter 1 and verse number 10, I think gives us her second thing, and that is her declaration. And she's praying to the Lord, and she's verbalizing these things to God, and that's what we need to do. We need to take things to the Lord. Is your heart heavy about something? I don't know what it is, whatever it is. I want to encourage you to bring it to the Lord. Verbalize it. Pray it out. Declare it. I think you ought to pray before birth. I think you ought to pray before conception. I think you ought to pray before marriage. My wife and I uh, got married, and we were married in, in Queens, New York. And that's where my mother-in-law's from, and their church up there. And in this beautiful old church with all this wood ceiling and magnificent floors and this incredible brass pipe organ, it was just amazing. We were married, and uh, the limousine came and took us to our honeymoon suite, and we, we walked in the front door of, uh, of our room. Really, I wasn't trying to be spiritual, but I had determined that we were going to together give our bodies to the Lord before we gave them to each other. And so we knelt down next to the bed, and we prayed and presented ourselves as offerings to the Lord. We said, Lord, we, we are yours. This life that you've given us, we, we give it to you, empower us, use us, and maybe just realize this, that declaring, declaring what you want to do with your life is so important and the desires of your heart and pray them out to the Lord. Listen, if you have a desire and it's not being met, you either need to change that desire because it's wrong or declare it to the Lord in prayer and ask God to do something great. Declaration. I want you to think of these five different ladies. Sarah, she was 90, 90 years old, and she prayed. It's a very similar story. And God gave her Isaac, and he changed the world. Rachel prayed this, give me children or I die. And God gave Joseph, who became the prime minister of Egypt and changed the world. There was a lady named Ruth. Her husband died. She was without children. She married, and God gave her a, a child, Obed, who became the grandfather of King David. Another lady, Elizabeth, she was married to Zechariah the priest, and they had no children. They were old, and she prayed, and he prayed, and, they, and God blessed, and God gave John the Baptist. This story is repeated over and over and over again in Scripture. And of course, our story here, Hannah, and God gave Samuel, the greatest individual between Moses and King David. And God used him in a great way. I wonder if there's the misconception of, I don't want children, and because it makes me poor, and it leads to abortion. And maybe God is trying to send these people that are impacting the world, maybe send the answer and the cure to cancer, or maybe um, some other dreadful disease, or bring some peace or some discovery. But we either kill them off or smother them or misdirect them through the absence of love and affirmation or the lack of discipline. And so they cannot come into the place of blessing. And as a society, we miss out. I wonder if that's the case. So first, desire. And secondly, 
declare. Now, I want you to hold on to these words, okay? So first, I've got to cultivate the right desires, and then I've got to, I've got to verbalize this. I have got to declare in prayer my desires. Now, number three, and this is verse number 11, and this is I've got to state my purpose or the destination. Where are you going with this? Maybe some of you are asking that in the sermon right now. Where is he going with this destination? Verse number 11, and she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if thou wilt indeed look upon the affliction of thine handmaid and remember me and not forget thine handmaid, but will give unto thine handmaid a man child. She knew children came from God. Then I will give him unto the Lord all the days of his life. See, there it is. She's saying, I have this desire. I'm declaring it in prayer. And this is the destination. What's the end of this? I will give this child back to you all the days of his life. And then to symbolize this, there shall no razor come upon his head. Now, this is the Nazarite vow. This is the same vow that Samson took just to symbolize and publicly display that somebody truly was given to God, they would have long hair. And in a society that, that didn't have it, they would not be identified as renegades, but they would be identified as people that were consecrated and dedicated to the Lord, the destination. See, a child is a gift from God. She's saying, I'm going to give this child back to you. Give me this child. Trust me with this child. I'm going to give him back to you. So let me ask you, what do you want for your child? And, and men, I, I knew that God wanted to raise up another generation. I knew it. And so before I ever met Deborah, I was determined we were going to have a godly family. We were going to have God's rules. We were going to have God's children. They were going to be given back to them. There would be a balance of love and discipline, and maybe we'd get a little bit off balance this way or the other way, and we'd try to correct it and, and walk that way. There wouldn't be uh, absentee or deadbeat dads or all this sort of stuff. I wasn't going to get distracted with other things, but we were going to raise children for the Lord. Now, think about the way Jesus taught us to pray. Thy kingdom come. He's not saying, when you pray, you have no ground to say, my kingdom come. I'm asking this for my kingdom. We're to ask things for God's kingdom. Those of you that are bosses here, if one of your employees came and said, I need $10,000 for this or $10,000 in today's economy, that, that basically gets you a happy meal at McDonald's, I think, something like that. But anyway, some large amount of money, you say, I need this. And the boss is going to say, why? Why does it get us to the goal? And if you were able to articulate, well, yes, because of this, this, and this, and I need it to make this happen. Well, the boss is going to sign off on that. You would sign off on that. Why? Because you know it's not for them. It's for the greater good. It's for our cause. It's for our goal. And so that is what Hannah is doing. She is setting the destination. I'm not praying this as a selfish prayer. I am praying this for your kingdom. In 3 John chapter 1 and verse number 4, it has just a great example of what every parent wants. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Walk in truth. Now, that is not some new version of truth, a new description where it's my truth and your truth. This is eternal truth. This is God's truth. And my goal for our seven children is simply this, that they walk 
in truth. Now I say goal, you really can't set goals for your children. You can set goals for yourself. I set goals for myself, but I have desires for my children and I want to provide for them and, and give them that right opportunity. There's an ancient mission song that I want to read for you. It's speaking of the call to take the gospel through the world. Give of thy sons to bear the message glorious. Give of thy wealth to speed them on the way. Pour out thy soul for them in prayer victorious. And all thou spendest, Jesus will repay. You know that song. It's a great song. Tens, hundreds of thousands of people, I, I guess millions of people have sung that song. What is it about? It is saying, the destination, the influence of my life is to glorify God. So men, women, boys and girls, what, whoever you are, if you will implement those three things into your life, your influence will grow. Cultivate the right desires. Declare. Pray out the right prayer. And then set the right destination. It's got to be included in that prayer. Apostle Paul said this in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse number 14. And it's really the prayer of nurturing. Ephesians 3 and verse number 14 down through 21 says, For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father. This is the reason I'm praying of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. What is he saying? He's saying, young church, I want you to be strong. I want you to be rich. I want it to be the inside of you, not the outside, the superficial way. I want you to, to enjoy the blessings and the bounty of God. Look at verse 17 that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love. That's the Christian walk. That's what the goal should be. That's what Hannah's goal is, this nurturing uh, element of influence that is given especially to the mother. Look at verse number 18. May be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and the length and the depth and the height little 4D demonstration here, and to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. This is a father's desire of nurturing for the children, and it should be implemented in our lives. In verse number 20, now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly, above all that we ask or think, according to the power of which worketh in us. This is the power of God. It's more than we could think. It's more than we could ask. Whatever you could imagine, if whatever you could come up with as your goals, listen, it falls far short of what God can do. Look at verse 21. Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. You know what I believe? I believe God wants to save the world. I believe God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now that, of course, is John 3.16. And what that is speaking of is God sacrificing and sending his son. And that's what God is still doing. 
He is sending the next generation. And he's sending them through godly mothers and fathers to make a difference in the world. How are we going to make a difference? Through nurturing, through using that incredible influence by cultivating the right desire, declaring this in prayer, stating the purpose and the destination. Look at number four, our fourth point here, but it's going to take determination, incredible persistence, incredible persistence. Now look at verse number 12, and it came to pass as she continued praying before the Lord that Eli marked her mouth. This is not just a, a little prayer that she's doing. The Bible specifically mentions that it was long. It was continued. She is continuing to do this. She is pouring out her soul to the Lord. It is going to take persistence. It sure will. No matter how dark, no matter how desperate the situation was, she kept on praying. And you're going to have to keep on praying and keep pursuing. In Isaiah chapter 40, in verse number 31, it says, But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. You've got to wait on God. There's continuance. There's determination. There's persistence. In Psalm 37, in verse number 7, it says, Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Don't get anxious. Don't get desperate. Listen, God will provide. God wants to do this. Psalms 27 and verse number 14 says, wait on the Lord and be of good courage. You've got to be courageous no matter what it is. Now, this is nurturing with motherhood. This is fatherhood. Uh, this is any other hood. This is for any hood, okay? <laughs> Ephesians 6 and verse number 18 says, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Perseverance. You're going to have to persevere. You're going to have to continue in prayer. God isn't going to just answer so quick. God is going to test you. All the goals worth attaining are uphill. You're not going to just coast and go in neutral and fall into some prosperity or well-accomplished, well-meaning life. It is uphill, and it's hard work. And God wants to, to use your life, your, your virtues, your character, and your courage to make a difference in this society. But you are going to have to be determined. How's your determination? You need world-class determination. You ever watch marathon runners? Oh, my goodness. You ever watch somebody doing something really hard? I like to watch, I say I like to watch, sometimes I don't, but I like to watch boxing and fighting and, and, and jujitsu and all this sort of stuff and it, incredible strength and training and then everything goes wrong and, and the guy gets choked and busted in the nose and, and they have to get back up. And I just look at that, I'm just amazed. I've, I liked to fight a little bit in, in high school. I did a little bit of boxing and a little bit of training that way. And I, I would do pretty good. I had longer arms, and so I had some pretty good reach. And my coach worked with uh, me with a little bit of coordination and rhythm there, and, and I did pretty good until I got busted good in the nose. And then I'm like, then I would get mad. And when I would get mad, then, then all my training is gone. And that's the difficult element here. This is tough. 
And once somebody gets under your skin, once you get mad, they can throw you off your game and you're going to lose. So Christians, take courage and be determined. Be determined. Don't quit. The fifth word is direction. And this is the element of persuasion. You see, God did give Samuel to this beautiful young lady, Hannah, and it was specifically for direction. Now, watch how uh, Hannah uses this influence in verse 21. Look at verse number 21. And the man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and his vow. But Hannah went not up, for she said unto her husband, I will not go up until the child be weaned. So this is after God's given the child. And she's going to give this child back to the Lord. And Samuel will be raised in the church under the priest named Eli. But she's like, not too early, not too early. This influence right now is mine in the middle of verse 22. And then I will bring him that he may appear before the Lord and there abide forever. And Elkanah, her husband, said unto her, Do what seemeth good unto thee. Tarry until thou have weaned him. And only the Lord establish his word. So the woman and uh, abode and gave her son suck until she weaned him. Verse 24. And when she had weaned him, she took him with her with three bullocks and one ephah of flour and a bottle of wine and brought him unto the house of the Lord in Shiloh. And the child was young. And they slew a bullock and brought the child to Eli. And she said, O my Lord, as thy soul liveth, my Lord, I am the woman that stood by thee here, praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord hath given me my petition, which I asked of him. Therefore also I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he liveth, he shall be lent unto the Lord. And he worshiped the Lord there. She fulfilled her vow. She brought that young child and gave him to the Lord. This is the directive power. The word, the name Samuel means asked of the Lord. And parents, let me say, treasure every moment, especially those formative years. The young man, Timothy, who was the preacher that was directed and empowered by Apostle Paul. The Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse number 5 that that faith that he recognized was Paul was remembering. He said that unfeigned faith that was in thee which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice. And I am persuaded that in thee also. This is that authentic, genuine, life-changing faith. It was recognizable. Mothers, Pray and ask that your faith would be passed on to the next generation. Oh, we need people of faith. Oh, we need people that will believe. I believe with all my heart that mothers have the greatest power and the greatest privilege in the world. And they are being talked out of that power. And they're being talked out of that privilege. Abraham Lincoln said this, All that I am, or ever hope to be, I owe to my angel mother. John and Charles Wesley, who changed the world and the, the founders of, the, of Methodism and the Methodist church. Really, that was the hand of Susanna, their mother. I believe this, that the hand that rocks the cradle rules the world. 
It's the nurturing power of the next generation. Now, all of our mothers, and, and my, I had an exceptional mother. My mother has, has died, and now with the Lord in heaven, my mother was just so positive and so filled with, with faith and just believed. She, she got started early with her career in a company out of Beverly Hills, California. It was later acquired by uh, Northrop Grumman, when she found out that she was expecting her firstborn son, that's me, she considered it a promotion that she could not turn down. And she turned in her resignation there at Northrop Grumman and, and decided to give her full-time attention to the raising of me. And, and then my brother Chad came about two years later, and then my brother Wes came down a few years later, and, and mom gave her full attention to raising us. Just a beautiful thing. You know what irks me is, is sometimes ladies will say, maybe in humility or maybe for some other reason, I'm not sure, but they'll say, maybe talking about careers, and they'll say, well, I'm just a housewife. And the truth is a house doesn't need a wife. A husband needs a wife. Houses don't need wives. But really, they're a homemaker. And I think the greatest need in the world today are homes. That's what we need. We need homes. And, and so people, this is, this is, I think, we are in a wrong course, a wrong mindset where we think, well, if you can't be the, a CEO uh, or you can't be a secretary, or you can't be an assistant, or you can't be a vice president, or you can't uh, you know, be elected to office, or you can't do this, or you can't do that. Well, maybe you could be a homemaker. I, I think just the opposite. I think the greatest, most important job is to be a homemaker. And then, when you have time, now we need to build business, and now we need to uh, run the nation, and now we need to do this, and now we need to do that. Listen, this is a calling. It's, an, it's a trust that God gives. It is the mind, the will, the heart of the next generation. And we can't say this next generation, are, they're crazy and they're going to take us all to hell and, and, and curse the next generation, but not focus on doing our part to raising up that next generation. There was a, a little boy, baby boy, that was born Two months before he was born, his father died. The mother was not a very good mother and was overwhelmed. And so she took her new baby boy and the two older boys and dropped them off at the orphanage. Later, she took them back, moved into New York City, took a job, a pretty good job. But that third baby boy she would not give her heart to him. She told him, don't you call me at work. And actually there's, there's accounts that she retells of him trying to call. And she would say, don't you call me at work. I'm busy. I'm doing a job, a very important job. And that little boy was neglected and didn't get the love and, and care that he deserved. He grew up and he really had no talents and he had no confidence and he had no moral courage or character. He was struggling and he thought, well, maybe I could get what I need, the discipline life demands from the Marine Corps. And so he joined the Marines and excelled in a few things, marksmanship, 
but couldn't make the cut and was dishonorably discharged. Struggled and flopped. Moved to Russia. Married a, a Russian lady there. And she left him. Later came back and, and he moved back to the United States. Just all sorts of problems. He was abandoned. Just miserable person. And then one day, in 1963, went to Dallas, climbed up in a third-story building, took his one skill, and Lee Harvey Oswald poked his rifle out the window and shot President Kennedy. I wonder what might have been different had that mother loved that baby boy, given him courage, and said, I love you. You're created for a purpose with a reason. I wonder what would happen if that mother could have helped guide him through troublesome times when confusion comes and says, that's okay. We all go through these things and that's all right. When rejection came into his life, said, that's okay. I love you and I accept you. But she didn't. Matter of fact, she was mean. She was absent. She was abusive. As a matter of fact, that mother was married again when Harvey was a little boy. And her second husband divorced her because she was abusing him. Mothers, you play a, a key role. And, and fathers and children, we need to realize mothers are part of the essential fabric of our community. We will never advance past our moral courage. We will never advance past our own character. And character comes primarily from mothers. My mother quit her job at Linton Industries and gave her full attention to me. I remember my mother teaching me the piano. I remember my mother teaching me to read the Bible, sitting on the steps. I remember my mother teaching me how to ride a bike and skateboard and do all kinds of crazy things. Even stuff she didn't even know how to do. I remember my mother teaching me how to make money. And she would hire me to do these jobs. Kill flies, wash the windows, weed the garden, kill the ants. There was a lot of ants and I would kill them. <laughs> she taught me how to make an ice cream business. And we gathered up all the stuff that was laying around the house and we had a garage sale and all kinds of great things. Every one of them mattered greatly. And I am so thankful today that my mother gave me compassion. Before your child turns five, they need the ABCs. They need affection. They need belonging and identity, and they need confidence. Thank you for listening, and we hope you were helped by that message from Pastor Brad Wells. Reach out to us anytime at gracewaydc.com or visit us in person, Sundays at 11, Thursdays at 7. Until next time, this has been Graceway Baptist Church on Capitol Hill, helping you make a difference. Music